This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. When my youngest daughter was in preschool, so she's about three, I had been here in Pasadena working at the Jet Proportion Laboratory, and I had gotten a really cute solar system cup, which she brought to DC with us. And she came home really sad one day with a sad face. I said, Elena, what's wrong? She goes, they said that this is a boy cup. Now, this is the solar system. And I quickly realized these are not three-year-olds. You know, this is the message that they're getting from their parents even. And so we have to be so careful with the language that we use and how we project these careers in STEM to younger students and our own children. You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batmiwala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. Hi everyone, my guest today is Karina Montia Edmonds, who is a leader in the field of innovation, technology transfer and commercialization. She's an engineer with a distinguished career spanning from serving in the Obama administration to technology companies such as Google. She currently serves as the Senior Vice President at SAP, a multinational software company. Karina's been a lifelong advocate for women and historically underrepresented minorities in STEM fields. She's a member of several boards, including Dragonfly Energy and the University of Rhode Island, and she holds a PhD in aeronautical engineering from Caltech, the California Institute of Technology. Welcome, Karina. Thank you, Marina. Karina, you're the youngest of six girls, and you have three girls of your own. That's a lot of girls. And you are passionate about advancing girls, particularly women of color in mathematics, engineering, and technology fields. You've loved mathematics since childhood. What inspired your childhood love of math? Well, I think I had a natural affinity to math. My mom says I was adding two plus two from a very young age. But when my family immigrated to the U.S., I had sort of a little wake-up call. I was in third grade, and I remember they assess your skills. And I remember I got a math booklet. And I completed it and I returned it to the teacher and she said, not the front page, the entire book. And I had, I said, yes, it's done. And I guess I'd done it so quickly that she assumed I I hadn't finished it. So that was, I guess, the first clue that I had a natural affinity to it. But I will say that while I always enjoyed math and I happen to be good at it, it is something that all girls can be good at. And unfortunately, around middle school, a lot of girls feel like this is an innate ability that you're born with, that you're either good at math or bad. And this is just simply not true. Everybody can be good at math. And we all should have, obviously, basic math knowledge. Yeah, I completely agree. And you mentioned middle school. I found even younger with my girls that there's a time even maybe as early as third grade where they start coming home and saying they don't really know if they like math or they don't like math. And I, I really don't know. They're obviously hearing it from somewhere outside my home. Yes. So, you know, I think they, they start to tell themselves these stories or people tell them these stories 
Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I actually have a story now that you mentioned that when my youngest daughter was in preschool. So she's about three. I had been here in Pasadena working at the Jet Proportion Laboratory, and I had gotten a really cute solar system cup, which she brought to D.C. with us. And she came home really sad one day with a sad face. I said, Elena, what's wrong? She goes, they said that this is a boy cup. Now, this is the solar system. And I quickly realized these are not three-year-olds. You know, this is the message that they're getting from their parents even. And so we have to be so careful with the language that we use and how we project these careers in STEM to younger students and our own children. I told my daughter, I said, what is so boyish about the solar system? You know, I said, this is a tall tale boys tell to keep all the fun things to themselves. I said, there's no such thing as a boy toy or girl toy. And she just repeated that for many years. So yeah, that worked. (laughs) That's great. I participated a lot in PTA there as well. And sometimes I would hear mothers in front of their young daughters saying, oh, I'm just not good at math. And it would just drive me crazy. And I had on occasion pulled them aside and said, just don't say that in front of your daughter because this is the message that she'll get. And, And having girls, I realized that the messages that they constantly get at every turn from society, that this is just not for you. And by the way, the reason that I started to be a strong supporter of getting more women in STEM wasn't, you know, because of my own sisters or my own daughters. It actually happened when I went to college, when I went into engineering, and I saw that there were very few women. I was one of two in my undergraduate class, and I was the only female three out of my five years at Caltech in the aeronautics department. You have a lot more women, and luckily for me at Caltech, you had a lot more women in the life sciences, but very few in engineering. You yourself as a child, you had the opportunity to go into some pretty remarkable math or STEM-related programs. I did. So back in the day, it wasn't referred to as STEM, but absolutely was. I was very fortunate because by fifth grade, and I also feel because English was my second language, I was like, it was really difficult for me. I remember having to make sentences of my vocabulary words. And so I think I naturally gravitated towards math. And my fifth grade teacher noticed that I had a special affinity to math and recommended me for a program in middle school. At the time, it was called to increase math, engineering, and science students. And this was a class of 30, many of which people in this class I'm still in touch with. Glad to say everyone did really well. And it's now an entire school in Providence, Rhode Island, that focuses on STEM. The most important part of that program was my visits with engineers. At this time, I did not know what an engineer was, but every engineer that I met was doing a super interesting job. And most importantly, they seemed to have a good living, which I was very interested in. A lot of the people that I was surrounded with were living paycheck to paycheck. And at that time, my goal was to own a house and own a car. And I thought, a career in engineering would afford me that opportunity. And it certainly has. So how did you then think about money growing up? Presumably you had a similar, you know, immigrant experience to many people. You were born in the Dominican Republic and your parents came at a very young age. Yes. So I was very fortunate. Both my parents worked, but it was also a wake-up call because they worked at a factory. It was Hasbro was headquarters in Central Falls, Rhode Island. And while it was not the best job, it was a job. They worked in injection molding for toys, Mr. Potato Head. 
and the such. But those jobs moved to China. And to be honest, the city has never recovered from the loss of those jobs. But after my first year in college, I was making more than both of my parents combined. This is my summer internship after my freshman year at university. So that was a big motivation for me to continue to be in school. I feel that coming from the Dominican Republic, I am able to appreciate everything they have so much more because both my parents had elementary school education. And that was part of the reason that they brought us to the U.S., me and my sisters, so that we would have opportunities. And I tried really hard since coming to the U.S. to take advantage of every opportunity afforded to me. And I think this is part of the reason why I've done so well in my career. Yes, clearly. That sort of dream from childhood clearly is something that's driven you a long way. Yeah. But I will say that my parents were very frugal. They were about the basics. I don't know, you know, in a lot of Latin cultures, we have quinceañera. They thought that was like the biggest waste of money ever. And Maybe explain to people what quinceañera. <laughs> quinceañera, when girls turn 15, there's a big party. People mortgage their house. I mean, they just, they go beyond and above to the sort of a, a coming out party for mm-hmm. their kids. And this was something that, you know, I knew was never going to happen for us, for me or any of my sisters, because they were about providing the basic necessities and savings, you know, for a rainy day, which is something that I carry to this day. And so that was a good lesson. And as soon as we worked, I really started working at an early age. Having older sisters, I had, (laughs) I will say I could start work much earlier And, you know, as soon as we started working, they would ask us to contribute to household expenses, which I think was a great lesson for us as well. That, you know, once you started working, you needed to contribute to the home. So I appreciated those lessons. And did one parent or the other have more influence on you in terms of money and how you think about money? No, I think they were pretty much aligned on that topic. You know, there was not a lot of, I think my dad pretty much drove the budget. My parents, I think, had a very similar philosophy. So I never saw any battles over money. They pulled their money together and, you know, paid for all the necessities. And then they had savings. There were never any extravagant expenses. We did not go on vacation. We did not get Christmas toys. In fact, (laughs) that's another childhood memory. I remember the little Miss Bake Oven. To this day, by the way, I love to bake. And this little bake oven came out and I just wanted one so badly. And I was sure I would get this because this is all I asked for. And I was a really good student and I did not get it that year. And it broke my heart. And I remember thinking at that moment, you know, I got to get a job so I can make my own money and get my own things. And yeah, so that was another turning point for me. I feel looking back and thinking about being able to, you know, buy the things that I wanted and needed for myself. Is there anything you know now about money and finances that you wish you had known when you were younger? Absolutely. Compounded interest, number one. (laughs) I definitely, stocks, I had no clue about stocks until I was in grad school. And there was a friend that I think, you know, started looking, following some stocks. And then I was sort of learning a little bit along with her. So that was helpful. And the fact that I was pretty frugal, but I was saving money. But, you know, these days, even now, interest rates are a little higher. But obviously having your money 
in a bank just earning ordinary interest really doesn't pay. And in fact, you're probably losing money. And my amazing dad actually passed away last year. And I've had to go through some of their finances. And I realize, you know, he's just lost so much because he just had everything in his savings. So yeah, that's definitely one thing that I've learned and trying to teach my girls to start saving earlier. So one of my proudest moments is I have a college senior and she was asking me about six months ago, she started asking, do you think I should open up a Roth IRA? (laughs) Something I did not even know about again until I started working. And I did know enough to, you know, max out my retirement as soon as I started working. And it's something that young people maybe don't think about. But if you just start saving, the earlier you start saving, the more you will accumulate and have in the long run. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have the power of time with you if you start. Yes. Yeah. Very important lesson. So that's one lesson you're teaching your girls. What do you have to say to your girls about a career in STEM and what it's done for you? Sure. You might get a different answer from them, but, you know, they say my, my attitude has always been STEM or bust. But this is absolutely not true. What I've always said to them, you can do whatever you want, but you got to do math along with it. And, you know, nobody gets a pass at math at math here. It's so important in everything. And, I, and I've pointed out to them, even, I don't know if you've noticed, you go shopping and unfortunately, it's not always economical. It's not always the best deal to buy the bigger product or, yeah, like I said, I, it, it's so important in everyday life. So, you know, even when they were little, you know, we see a deer and it was like, okay, how many legs, how many years? We were living in DC, remember? So we're driving through Rock Creek Park a lot and everything, you know, math is fun. Math is everywhere. Numbers are everywhere and you shouldn't be intimidated. So I've always said, yeah, you, you got to do math as well. And of course, I love math and science and I've always exposed them since they were little. I still love, you know, going to the zoo, going to the science center. I think it's really important that kids understand what math is. And in fact, my younger daughter knew she could get away with murder if she called it a science experiment. So (laughs) she'd be dragging, you know, a bucket of mud and water and sometimes even matches. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, it's an experiment. So I was like, okay, I better not mess with the scientific process. You know, you mentioned something to me that really I found very profound in terms of pursuing higher degrees and the the kind of opportunity that it's giving you, not just Mm -hmm. career-wise, but in terms of flexibility. Yes, this is a great point. I, you know, maybe because coming from a big family, family was always important to me. And when I was an undergrad, I had decided I would pursue a graduate degree so I could become a professor, knowing that this would be, you know, my best opportunity to get more women engaged in the field. And then at some point you get really tired during senior year of college. And I thought to myself, and I had a friend, I was talking to them. I said, why am I even thinking about going to graduate school? I just want to be a really good mother. And this classmate, Charles at the University of Rhode Island said, you will be a great mother with a PhD. And I had not thought about it very much, but it was like one of the best pieces of advice because it's so true. I feel Getting the higher degree has afforded me the flexibility that has made me, you know, has enabled me to really take care of my kids. So having a PhD really, really makes being a mother that much easier for me. Absolutely. And it's it's been great. Yeah. And I think it's just that's a remarkable thing to say. I, you know, hope everyone's listening 
because people sort of hesitate to spend the time and invest in, you know, so many years in their career, but they may not realize how beneficial it actually is for them in the long run. Yes, I was fortunate to have had the opportunity to go to grad school and completed. And yeah, like I said, the the opportunities that, and not just, you know, financially, because I'm now, you know, able to take care of my girls. I have got divorced some time ago and I was able to continue to take care of them, which is, you know, was really wonderful, but also just in terms of career opportunities, having the opportunity to go to DC. By the way, I almost never got that opportunity presented to me because the person who initially was asked for recommendation, they overlooked me. And when they told somebody else, hey, they're looking for somebody with tech transfer experience, both at the university level and also from a national labs perspective, this person said, oh, you just described Karina perfectly. And this other gentleman said, oh, she's not going to want to move with three young kids across the country. And luckily that person said, well, let her make that decision. And this is someone who was a father figure to me. He was not trying to be mean at all. He was in fact trying to protect me. And for me, that was a great opportunity to be in Washington at the historic time. And so those are the opportunities as well that I feel that having this graduate degree has afforded me. So what was that opportunity in Washington? What were you doing? I was under the Department of Energy. I worked for Secretary Chu. I was the first full-time technology transfer coordinator for the Department of Energy. This was a position that had been created five years before I arrived, but had been added as additional duties to others. But Secretary Chu had come from Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, and he recognized the importance of technology transfer and what it could do. And so he thought this was this deserved a dedicated person. And through a, a search and many interviews, I was offered the opportunity to go. And it was a wonderful opportunity, both for me and my family. And so what is technology transfer? So technology transfer is the process of taking a scientific discovery from the lab to the marketplace and everything in between. And so a great example that I always point out is the CMOS imager. So your camera on your cell phone, which, you know, most people are familiar with taking selfies. Well, that camera was developed at JPL for NASA. They needed a small camera to work in low light conditions that would be lightweight and inexpensive. And now it's on everybody's camera. And that process of taking this technology from the lab to the marketplace is quite involved and typically will take a startup or an established company that will license the technology from either the university or the lab that created it. And and through that process, I, I got a certification. I became a patent agent so that I could advise the technologists and the scientists about the proper way to protect their ideas. So what are the important lessons you're teaching your girls now? I know you're going to teach them to be you know, sensible with money and compound interest, but it's very different bringing up your girls today to, you know, compared to how you were brought up. Sure. So one thing that I took away also from my own childhood is to be independent. And I believe that's something that they've learned from me just by role modeling. I've, you know, always with the, you know, you got to do math as well. I think it's been understood that my job is to develop them to be completely independent. And that's what I've worked to do. So I, regardless where they end up or with who that they themselves feel that they can, you know, they are enough and they're completely independent. And I think everyone's working with that. And I've, I've mentioned that to them. I said, I've always said to them, you can be whatever you want. I want you to be happy. Decide what life you want. 
and then decide what you need to live that life, right? I mean, I did have one daughter one time that was leaning toward a Buddhist life. And I was like, that's fine. You know, that same daughter is, is now has very expensive taste. What I've always told them is I want them to be happy in whatever that is. So I've never pushed them towards STEM or any particular career. Uh, like I said, I've always thought math is a basic skill and everybody needs to have those math skills. And I've always, you know, earlier I mentioned it's about having opportunities. And I fundamentally believe and pretty much <laughs> know in this case that the more math and science you have, the more opportunities that you will have available to you. I have yet to meet an employer or anyone that will say, oh, no, no, wait, you've had too much math. You've had too much science. OK, it's usually the other way around. Yeah, you can, you know, like I said, have a bunch of have a lot of math, a lot of science and become a writer. You know, in fact, my older daughter, who's now about to graduate in electrical engineering, is an amazing writer and loves literature. And honestly, I think she would make a great author and hopefully maybe she would do that. But again, we couldn't over, overlook the math piece. And then I said, okay, I want you to be happy. What, what is it? But be responsible in terms of what you need to be happy. What are those things? You know, and obviously we need to pay rent. We have utilities, car payment, insurances, all these things. So I've always shared with them how much things cost. I remember when they were little, we'd go to Target. They pull something. They go, oh, this is cheap. It's a dollar. And I look at them and I'd be like, well, do you have a dollar? No. Well, I guess it's not so cheap. So in just the value of saving, I've also, they've always had a bank account and whenever they got gifts, they have to put some portion, which changed over the years, they'd have to put something away. So Karina, what advice do you have for people raising girls in today's world? My biggest advice would be to be very careful with your words and your language because they're so impressionable. And you know, if you're saying you don't like math, you don't have to do math. You don't have to do science. You don't like science. You know, this is the cues that they're going to pick up. And as I say, in this world, especially we now know about chat GBT and AI taking over. It is now more important than ever for girls, everyone really, to have basic math and science skills. It's no longer an option. It's a must have. Data science, data is a new currency, and you have to be comfortable and knowledgeable about how data is being used, how decisions are being made that are affecting us. That would be my advice. I would love to give every mom of girls a little book as they take them home from the hospital. Things not to say to your daughter, oh, I can't do math, would be number one. Karina Matteo Edmonds, thank you so much for your time today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at bankingongoals.com. Bye.